This is an audiobook in a podcast format. I hope you like it, and if you do, tell a friend. Andino Andina, copyright Liz Rosales, Catota Press. I was too amazed to move or speak. Years of watching Doctor Who had still not prepared me for anything like this actually happening in real life. Or at least not in my life. Tonio rushed to the door and looked outside. He's gone, he proclaimed unnecessarily as he came back in. All I could see was the merest hint of some blue light in the middle of the yard. The surprise on his face made me giggle and snap out of my trance. Did that really just happen? I asked. Well, if it didn't, where did that folder come from? And the bank card? That looks real too. He turned it over in his hand. It's got your signature on it. With that, we fell about laughing. Many words can be used to describe my life. Surreal seemed to fit unusually well. For the last five days we've got up at sunrise rather than at that more civilized hour, and while Tonio sorted out things at sunroof, I'd been rushing around as if in a dream, getting everything ready. A stack of notepads, a box of ballpoint pens, my favorite fountain pen and ink, two months' supply of the cat's favorite food and treats. Our laptops and tablets were packed, together with printed books, LED lanterns, solar chargers, and an old-fashioned camera. I was beginning to look forward to finally getting some use out of the winter coat I'd refused to leave behind in England. Finding a suitable parka for Tonio had been a challenge in this tropical part of the world. We'd already had our crazy big shopping day when I discovered that the hot and humid climate had taken its toll on my suitcases that had been used for storage. Time for some quick improvising and a couple of duffel bags were hastily purchased at a nearby supermarket. Fortunately, my trusty well-travelled backpacks were all right and, of course, our stampeding packs of my own design. We were sipping iced coffee with a friend, trying not to look at the bags waiting beneath the window. I was feeling more than a little apprehensive, and wondering if perhaps this was all some kind of grand joke played on us when I heard a car pull up outside. There was a young woman at the wheel, and from the passenger side emerged Field Agent Bronn if that was indeed his name. Peluche, who had been sleeping, curled up in a chair on the porch, woke up and stretched. He then shocked us all by calmly walking past me in the doorway, right up to the new cat carrier and settled down inside. His green eyes looked up at me, questioning this new development, ears twitching, making him look adorably curious. Amazed, I gave him some treats. Kachina, who had been grooming herself by the bathroom door, looked up at Bron standing in the doorway and went to her carrier with a bemused expression on her pretty face. Wow, I breathed. How did you do that? Feeling dazed, I gave Kachina a few treats too and secured her door while she was busy eating. Tonio and Miguel's jaws were both hanging open. In all the years we'd known each other, Miguel had barely seen our cats, and the standing joke was to refer to them as our imaginary friends. 
Bronze shrugged. "'Are you ready, then?' he asked. "'Ready as I'll ever be,' I said, astonished, still looking at the cats. The men started moving the bags to the vehicle. I unplugged the fridge, knowing Miguel would take any leftover food back to his place. I rinsed out our glasses and poured some vinegar in the sink and the toilet. I took one last look around to see that everything was in order before closing the last shutter. Soon the bags and the cat carriers were stacked in the spacious minivan. I ran my eyes down the checklist on the notepad one last time. All done. Tonya took the key for the front door of his keyring and handed it to Miguel. Keep an eye on the place, will you? I said with an unfamiliar lump in my throat. Claro que si. Of course, Miguel replied. You look after yourself now, yeah? Claro que si, I echoed with a grin and a hug. Hasta que volvemos. Until we get back. Que tenga un bien viaje. Have a good trip. Tonio and Miguel did their fist-bump, man-hug, back-slap thing, and then we were off. The adventure had begun. I still could not believe this was really happening, and to us. As the minivan was making its way to the airport, I felt incredibly present, and at the same time in a kind of a daze, as if it was happening to someone else, and at any time I would wake up back in our own bed, where I would turn over, and there would be Tonio, asleep and snoring, and when he woke up, it would be to hear me say, You would not believe what a crazy dream I just had. It was so real. Wait till I tell you with breakfast I need coffee first. Speaking of coffee, back in England Peruvian fair trade had been one of my indulgences, one I had sorely missed, and while I had packed a few jars of quality instant, because you never know when you're going to have a coffee emergency. I was really hoping to be able to sample some local varieties. At the airport, it did not take long to have our luggage transferred to a luggage trolley, and I was amazed how swiftly we got through the VIP passport control, with only a cursory glance at our travel documents. I didn't know what to think. Part of me felt like a rock star, another felt terribly shy, and the remaining part was tempted to worry that all of this had been a case of mistaken identity and I would be told to go back home. Either that, or after all this, I wouldn't be able to deliver what was wanted of me. I squeezed Tonio's hand as we approached the small, two-prop plane. Don't worry, Bron said reassuringly. Oh, she's not worried, believe me. Jack loves flying, Tonio said. I giggled. Oh, it wasn't about that, Bron and I said in one voice, and we all started laughing. I'd better get used to having my thoughts read, I said. Woo-hoo! I laughed as I ran up the stairs and entered the cabin of a small plane. There towards the back were our bags neatly stacked and strapped down with what looked like industrial-sized bungee cords. The cat carriers were secured to a chair each at the back, which still left us quite a few seats to choose from. The pilot swiveled around and waved at us, and shouted a greeting at Bron, before welcoming us all aboard. The surreal feeling continued. The pilot started up the engines, received the all-clear from the tower, 
and began to taxi towards the runway for takeoff. As we sped down the runway and climbed into the air, I couldn't stop myself grinning. I love flying under almost any circumstances, but this, just wow! I looked at Tonya, who had a matching grin on his face. A few hours later, we landed to refuel. Clearly this was a real airplane, and not some cloaked, super-powered spacecraft, nor was our pilot called Donald Chimura. I let the cats out in the cabin for a bit, to stretch their legs, use the sandbox, eat and drink without being bobbed around. It was late in the afternoon before we arrived in La Paz, where once again we were whisked through passport control and out to a waiting minibus that took us to some kind of micro-hotel or private guesthouse in the southern part of the city. We had a quick shower and a light snack before falling into bed, leaving the cats to investigate and sniff out their surroundings. My head was both spinning and thudding as I drifted off to sleep. Jack, are you okay? I heard Tonya's concerned voice through the bathroom door as I retched once more. My head was pounding as I gasped for breath, and I leaned my head back, hoping to counteract the nosebleed that had woken me up. Yeah, I mean, no. Bloody altitude sickness. Unlike Tonya, who had grown up at high altitude in Mexico City and therefore had an easier time acclimatizing, I had always lived at sea level and felt decidedly fragile. A few minutes later, I felt safe enough to open the door it had and was met by worried-looking eyes. Wow, your face really looks green, Tonya said in amazement. Thanks, I groaned. You always know how to cheer me up. Do the cats feel changes in altitude too, I wondered. That I'd forgotten to check out beforehand, and I felt a pang of fear. How are the fur balls? I asked with my eyes closed, letting Tonio guide me back to the bed, a wad of tissues in my hand, just in case. Last I saw them, they were sound asleep on top of our bags in the other room. Bron dropped by a while ago, and said we can stay here for a couple of days to get used to the altitude, before heading up into the mountains. Thank heavens for that, I mumbled as I sipped from a bottle of mineral water, eyes still firmly closed. He gave me these too, they are for you. Tonya placed something light in the hand that wasn't occupied by tissues. Tell him thanks. What is it? I hesitantly opened one eye, and squinted at what looked like earphones and a small mp3 player. Something told me it was more than interstellar harmonics for the green-faced earthling. It's sound technology. You listen to it when you start feeling affected by the high altitude, and it will help your body adjust using tones and sound. Good plan. I'll put that to the test right now, I moaned. I popped them on and mercifully went back to sleep. Next time I woke, it was afternoon, and I could hear voices from the other room. I still had a residual headache, but the nausea had subsided. I washed my face and brushed my teeth, and knocked back two aspirin. Then I wrapped myself in the thick cotton robe I found hanging on the back of the door, and padded out to see what was going on. 
Braun and Tonya were looking at pictures and discussing what looked like some kind of science fiction energy source diagrams in Spanish. I don't know why I was surprised to find Braun fluent in Spanish as well as English, but come to think of it, he probably spoke other languages too I had yet to find out about. He greeted me in English, though, and Tonya got up to give me a hug. Feeling better? A bit, I said. I am hungry, though. I'll get you a coffee and some toast. Take a seat. I sat down opposite Bron on the low sofas that resembled futons. Thanks for the sound thingy. Maybe I should have warned you. I don't do high altitudes very well. I'm sorry. No need to apologize. We suspected that, he offered diplomatically. You did, and you still? Yes. Coffee and toast, por mi amor. Tonio placed the tray on the coffee table in front of me. A big steaming mug of coffee and... I love white butter and French brie. How did you... Oh, I know, I don't ask. I exclaimed in delighted surprise. And real pandrous stick, hard flour bread. It wouldn't fit in the toaster, Tonio commented, but it tastes great. You bet. Thanks for minding my brain, I said happily before taking a bite. Wow, is that spelt I can taste. Oh my goodness, if it wasn't for the headache, I think I'd died and gone to heaven. Pellucci looked up from his spot next to Bron and yawned. I just can't get over how they went straight into the carriers yesterday, Tonio said. And I can't believe Pellucci. I mean, look at him. He's normally just about comfortable with the two of us around. And here he is, indoors, in an unfamiliar place. And you, I gestured at Bron, practically a strange... Oh, of course you're not. I could feel my cheeks glowing. I have a way with cats, smiled Bron. I've hung around them a bit, and now we're old friends, aren't we? He scratched Pellucci behind the ear, then under the chin. But when... I said before I could stop myself. It's only been, what, a week? Crikey, it feels a lot longer than that. Is that all it's been? I can't believe that. And I'm babbling. I'm sorry. Plug the brain in before operating the mouth. I forgot that. I'll shut up now. Even ten days is a long time in no time, Bron said cryptically. No shit, mumbled Tonio out of the corner of his mouth. Right. Not going to argue with that. I'm going for a shower. You two just... Whatever you were doing. Oh, yeah, you'll love this. Tonya's face lit up as he picked up one of the peculiar pictures off the table. It's a new, more efficient way of using solar power. It's so cool. It's not really new, you understand, but for us it is. Later, Amor. Shower first. I need to wake up properly. I took the tray back into the white kitchen and topped up my mug with more of the delicious coffee. I wondered if it was Peruvian or Bolivian. I found Kachina cat curled up in the warm spot on the bed I'd vacated earlier. I sat down and stroked her soft, soft fur. Miss Kitty, how are you doing, sweetie? Are you feeling the heights too? Not nearly as much as you do, apparently came the sleepy answer in my head. Oh, goody, you just stay there. I'm going for a shower. 
barbaric human habit. Kachina closed her eyes and sighed in that adorable way only cats have mastered, and resumed snoozing. Half an hour later, clean and dressed in fresh gear out of the stampeding pack, I was beginning to feel more like myself again. Maybe I should explain what a stampeding pack is. It's a rather compact, purpose-made bag that can be carried either like a sports bag or a backpack. It's soft and squishy, mostly shower-proof, and has a multitude of pockets in not-so-obvious places. And when it's packed right, it contains all the owner needs for about three days, plus everything personally important. That out of the way, I joined the others in the living room. Time to lose myself in a good book. How are you doing today? Beginning to feel acclimatized yet? Bron inquired when he arrived the following morning. Getting there, getting there, I replied, the debilitating nausea and the headaches of the altitude sickness still fresh in my mind, my muscles still feeling decidedly weak. I particularly didn't enjoy feeling out of breath whenever I wanted to walk somewhere, like the kitchen. How about a gentle excursion? Bron asked. What did you have in mind? Well, Manolo said Tiawanaku isn't that far away, and Pumabunku. You can't come all this way and not visit these treasures, and the salt plains. He says you've got to experience the salt plains. That sounds familiar, Tonio interjected. Care to elaborate a bit? Refresh my memory? You can ask him yourself in the car. So what do you say? Let's check it out. We got ourselves prepared with scarves, parkas and boots, and of course cameras. I was deeply thankful for the waiting SUV and relished its comfort and privacy as we rolled through the streets and out onto the plains. With my high sensitivity to everything and anything forever increasing, travel had become more and more draining and less and less pleasurable as the years had gone by. Throngs of people and great distances in stressful conditions had begun to rob me of this avocation. When you know your energy levels don't last very long, it often becomes your focus to conserve what you've got and make it last as long as possible. By now, to enjoy the adventures of independent travel felt mostly insurmountably daunting and undoable. It made me feel weak and a burden when travelling with hardier friends, and the feelings of guilt and shame that stirred up as I worried about them resenting me was something I detested. After my backpacking days, often on a strained budget, to roll through the streets, comfortably seated behind tinted windows, without any worries about getting lost or getting robbed, made me appreciate this VIP treatment even more. All I had to do was get in, close the door, fasten the seatbelt and relax in our protective cocoon. Instead of having my energy drained by the strain and stress of getting some place, I could now arrive fresh and rested, ready to delight in everything in a totally new way. It made a world of difference and I was deeply grateful for it. You need some better sunglasses, Bron remarked, taking a look at mine. There are a few in the glove box. 
Tonya looked smug behind his Costa del Mars he'd had for years. I was wearing my favourites too. Plain black and comfortable, bought at the Sunday market. Audrey Hepburn would not have turned them down, but quality they weren't. I reached in, Lucky Dip style, and pulled out some that looked like they'd come straight off a ski slope. Just as well the fashion police weren't going to inspect us. I chose a pair that looked like something worn by tourists in Tour de France, and was surprised to feel how my eyes immediately relaxed. Hmm, maybe I ought to find some quality glasses when we got back. But that had to be more stylish looking than these. La Paz, the capital city of Bolivia, is situated 3,660 meters or 12,000 feet above sea level, making it the highest capital in the world. The name La Paz, which translates as the peace, is somewhat ironic considering it is the birthplace of 190 revolutions or coups in 170 years. It was quite a drive to put some space between ourselves and the numerous minibus loads of other tourists, but the salt plains were as expansive and mind-boggling as I'd read during my brief online burst of research. With very little to mentally compute the size and scope of it all, it made for a rather heady experience, where distance became an abstract concept, one that existed in the physical, but played tricks on the eyes, creating optical illusions. There is even a hotel built out of compressed salt blocks, Manolo told us. Predictably, I fell in love, first with Isla Incahuasi, or the Cactus Island, over sixty acres of giant cacti growing on what remained of an ancient volcano, and later with the less visited Isla del Pescado, also home to a vegetation consisting mainly of cacti, and regardless of its name, not a single fish. These spiny survivors had always enchanted me, to a point where I felt guilty and disliked eating nopales, a common side dish in Mexico made with the pads of the opuntia, or the prickly pear cactus. You only have to look at Mexico's flag to grasp the significance of this plant. The Aztecs saw the ripe red fruits as symbolic human hearts, at once a gift and a hint from the sun god to keep the world turning. I much preferred to feast my eyes on the cacti rather than eat them, and like the Aztecs, I enjoy eating the peeled fruit sometimes called tuna. The tiny barbs occasionally left behind in my fingers for a couple of days seemed a suitable sacrifice in exchange for this delicacy, especially on a hot day. The flavour is similar to that of pitaya, or dragon fruit, which comes from another cactus. Only the seeds of the tuna are bigger, and hard enough to chip your tooth if you try to chew them, and therefore best swallowed whole. On the way back, everyone seemed lost in their own thoughts, processing their impressions and experiences of the sights. I was feeling spaced out by the otherworldly landscapes of Valle de la Luna, Valley of the Moon, and disoriented by the vastness of the salt plains. By the time the SUV came to a halt outside our building, it was dark again. The next day, we left bright and early for Tiawanaku, a pre-Columbian archaeological site situated 45 miles west of La Paz. Tiawanaku means Gateway of the Sun, 
and is considered by the Andean scholars to have been one of the most important civilizations prior to the Inca Empire. Among the things they constructed is an advanced irrigation system running over 30 square miles to be able to grow corn, potatoes, quinoa and various other crops to feed its people, as well as waterproof sewage lines. At its peak, Tiwanaku is believed to have dominated the whole Lake Titicaca Basin and have been home to an estimated population of 400,000. The culture is thought to have dissolved rather abruptly about 3,000 years ago. Nobody really knows why. Right nearby is Pumapunku, which is Aymara and means gateway of the Puma. It is a terraced mound paved with enormous stone blocks which have been cut with an unrivaled precision. To add to the mystery, the red sandstone itself is not native to the area, and scientists believe that they may have come from a quarry over six miles away. No mortar has been used, and many of the joints are so precise that not even a razor blade can fit between them. Mightily impressive, especially considering the soft earth and ground these giant slabs of stone rest upon. Like with Tiavonaku, nobody knows for sure what happened to these civilizations. The last of the pre-Incan people is thought to be the Uru people, the sons of the sun, who to this day live on self-fashioned floating islands on Lake Titicaca. Manolo, acting as our guide as well as our driver, told us Lake Titicaca at over 3,800 meters above sea level, is the highest navigable lake in the world. It is by volume the largest lake in South America. But facts aside, it was surreal to behold, because it has been on my bucket list seemingly forever. From above the shore we were treated to a glorious golden sunset, before making our way back after our second day of visiting mysterious sites. That evening, back in La Paz, Bron brought our attention back to the next step of our mission. If you are feeling sufficiently acclimatized, we'll be making our way to Cordoba tomorrow, so tonight's the night if you want something continental to eat, as you probably won't be seeing much of that where you're going. Pizza! Tonio and I said in one voice and grinned at each other. Bron looked to our driver Manolo. Claro, no problem. Anything else? Garlic bread? Coke or something unhealthy to drink? A grin spread across Manolo's face. Inca cola. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed it. Andino Andina is written, read, edited and produced by me. Copyright Liz Rosales 2014 and 2021.